0: Hello everyone, this is Stephen Strang and welcome to my podcast today. One of my very best friends in the ministry is my guest today, Mike Bickle from International House of Prayer. Every time Mike Bickle is in town, I pull him into the studio to do a podcast. We've had some really good podcasts and of course you can find them on the Charisma Podcast Network. And I'm just so happy to have you, Mike. So thank you for fitting me in while you're down here in Florida on vacation, getting away from those cold Midwestern winters.
1: Well, we love coming to Florida in January. We've done it every year for about 30 years, and we always look forward to spending a day with you. Every year, we've spent a day together, our families, and it's been a great highlight for us.
0: Well, thank you. In the tease leading up to the show, I mentioned that I quoted you. And of course, on these interviews, both secular and Christian, I try to talk about the spiritual dimension. And I made this point the Christians were praying. And I said, one of my friends, and it was you, (laughs) said millions of people were praying that God would raise somebody up, and we just didn't have anybody in mind. And of course, that somebody we believe now is Donald Trump. Yeah, and
1: that was a shock to so many of us. I mean, we could have never have guessed it. When we were praying, again, millions of believers were praying. There was an urgency created through the years before that We needed God to intervene because the conversation and the culture was leaning more and more to the left and more and more radical left and becoming hostile to things that are important in the Word of God. And that trend was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And we said, Lord, we have need of a mid-course correction plus some. Please raise up somebody and put them in place to get this thing in a different direction.
0: Well, that makes me think of Paula White Cain because she's become actually an advisor or a spiritual advisor to the president, and I've known her for a long time, not quite as long as you. And I remember her telling us at one of the conferences where she was a speaker that this celebrity who is a New York billionaire had called her ministry office and said that he watched her on TV and that he had some questions about God, and I had no discernment at all that God was up to something. I just thought, well, that's interesting, and you know, didn't think much about it. But apparently, God was up to something because as I've told also in interviews, and as I tell in my book, Donald Trump started watching Christian television. And in fact, I was on the TV program just a few days ago with the Christian Television Network from Clearwater, Florida. They've got some different stations, and they had the station in Palm Beach, or West Palm Beach, that Donald Trump watched when he was at Mar-a-Lago. He also watched Kenneth and Gloria Copeland and Jim Baker, for sure, because they've told me that he's told them that. I mean, what it says to me is that God can be at work reaching people in ways that we'd never suspect.
1: And he never asked our permission for what he's doing.
0: It's amazing how that works.
1: (laughs) Because we might not have given it to him.
0: Well, I I just want to ask you, because you are obviously a man of prayer. You have a great deal of insight into the word. You have been affiliated with the prophetic movement. In fact, didn't they create the term Kansas City Prophets because of you?
1: Well, it was related to some of the people I hung out with, plus them. And of course, (laughs) that was about, what, 30 years
0: ago? Years ago. So of course, that's a whole different discussion. We'll wait for a different time. But you have a lot of insight. And I'm just interested if you'll share with me and my listeners what you see going on in our country spiritually, and specifically with this great divide that seems to be there and this almost hostility and even hatred of our president. And as I've said many times, they not only hate Donald Trump, they hate the things he stands for, which includes a lot of the values that we hold dear.
1: And what was that quote you said earlier today when we were just fellowshipping that he just got in the way or something, how how did that go? you
0: know, people send you memes. (laughs) You know, On Facebook, I guess, I don't remember where I saw it, but there's a, a meme, a very pensive looking Donald Trump. And at the top it says, they're not after me, they're after you. And at the bottom it says, I just got in the way. And I kind of feel like that, you know, because he's become a champion. I mean, look how he spoke at the March for Life and he's stood up against religious persecution overseas. You know how he got Andrew Brunson out of that prison in Turkey. Any other president or bureaucrat, they would have probably made a few efforts and let the poor man just rot.
1: What happened with Andrew Brunson is amazing. We've got to know Andrew and his wife, Noreen, pretty well in the last year. We've got to be with him a number of times. And how this administration, Mike Pence, Donald Trump, the whole group took a stand for him because it was right to take a stand for him is remarkable. The miracle of his release from prison in Turkey, coming to America. I mean, the story goes on and on. He's written a book on it, which is quite a detailed and dramatic story of his deliverance from prison.
0: And of course we wrote about him in Charisma Magazine and it is an amazing story. And a lot of people, when they read about it in the press, don't really know that he is a charismatic Christian to use the terminology that we would use here. And Donald Trump made an international incident out of one Christian missionary in Turkey. He put sanctions that were so severe, their stock market plummeted and their currency plummeted. And they finally said, ouch. You know, take off the sanctions. You can have your missionary back. And it's a little bit more complicated than what I said. They actually found him guilty, as you well know, but... They also said the Turkish
1: government, the the government of Turkey found him guilty of being a revolutionary or something, something like that, because it's not real at all. Because he's just a radical believer who cares about God's heart and proclaiming the word of Jesus.
0: I'm I'm glad you clarified that. But they were able to save face in their circles by finding him guilty. But then since he'd been in prison, that he'd already the time he served counted and he was just out in a matter of hours. Yes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: Like one person called him. I can't remember who, the most expensive prisoner in history <laughs> because of the sanctions on Turkey and the economic shifts that happen in Turkey and the Middle East because of this issue. Or like you said, maybe that's too simplistic to make it only this issue. But anyway, they called him tongue in cheek, the most expensive. Well, prisoner I can in believe history.
0: it. I mean, when you hear the statistics, I haven't researched it enough to be able to repeat it right now. But, you know, when the stock market crashes, it's you know in our money it's like sometimes billions of dollars you know just lost overnight and i'm sure that happened over there but just talk you know as we are recording this the impeachment trial is ongoing but people will be listening to this podcast much later and we need to try to see the big picture of what god is doing in fact that's really why i wrote the books we did not to just opine about politics, but to see what and you're, God you're is doing. you're talking about
1: the three books you have written in the last four years on Donald Trump. Yeah,
0: it's interesting how you could just kind of work that in. Thank you very much. No, no,
1: no. Those books are like, you tell stories and a perspective and a behind-the-scenes view that very few people ever get a chance to peer into.
0: Well, thank you. Got into Donald Trump. The first one was really to tell the miracle story of how prophets, you know, basically charismatic prophets who are spiritually sensitive and hear from God, said that he'd win.
1: And you wrote that book at the early 2017 or before?
0: It actually came out in late 2017. Late 2017. it's when it came out. Okay. Yeah. I started writing it, you know, a couple of months into his term or his administration. And it's because I felt that that story was not being told. And a lot of books about Trump, a lot of books against Trump, but even the books that were more journalistic or, or more fair, didn't tell the spiritual aspect, with one or two exceptions. So the, I wanted to do
1: that. The Trump Aftershock was really a follow up of that. And that was 2018? 18. Okay. And then your recent book you've just written, God, Trump, and the 2020 election. What's that? What's the key part of that? I know that's not about your book, but just <laughs> give it, just humor me. What's the key point of that?
0: Well, on the cover it says, why he must win and what's at stake for christians if he loses because i think that if he loses even though he's not perfect by any means he's not our savior we know that but he's become our champion and he has given us a reprieve i believe and also he stopped the left which is becoming so anti-god they've kind of always been that way or at least tending toward that way but with trump he's such a disruptor that has kind of brought it all to the surface and i even have a chapter in there on how trump might lose and cite some ways and the main one is if christians and other conservatives are complacent and stay home the election will probably be fairly close and that can make the difference but it's my attempt to try to help christian people this book was written to christians i wanted christians to try to see god's hand in it so there's one whole section on understanding the spiritual perspective but this is not about me this is about me interviewing you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I want I want to hear what you see happening because you don't really live in the political world. Right, you, right. you live a life of prayer and seeking God, and, and you run a big ministry in which you teach other people and motivate them to pray and seek God. But I know you well enough to know that you're pretty savvy. You keep up with what's going on, and you see all this kind of in the light of eternity in the sense of... God has a plan and purpose in Revelation and the book of Daniel and so forth. Do you think this is building up to culminate into something? Yeah,
1: I think the uh, conflict in America right now in the Western world is best summarized and declared in Psalm 2. I make this big statement that I believe Psalm 2 is the most clear statement of what's happening particularly in the Western world right now in the nations. And in Psalm 2, I wrote a book on it, and the book is called God's Answer to the Growing Crisis. And I wrote it with some publishing house. I think it was Charisma Publishing House.
0: (laughs) I published it with you. I love it how you just kind of slide these things (laughs) in.
1: Well, it's that I took that psalm and making the statement, this is a big statement, that it's the clearest most definitive statement as to what's going on right now, because there's lots of chapters in the Bible talk about end time events and trends, positive and negative, but I don't see anything as clear as Psalm 2. And in Psalm 2, what David said in verse 1 and 2, he said, all the kings of the earth, I mean, we're talking about the kings of the earth that are coming together in unity with the rulers of the culture, the rulers of society, and not all of them, but many of them And their goal is, Psalm 2, verse 3, to drive the influence of the Word of God out of the culture. And the way that it's said, you might not catch that if you read Psalm 2, verse 3 real fast. Here's what David said 3,000 years ago he said this. He goes, in that hour of history, the kings of the earth and the rulers of the culture, they will meet together to scheme to break God's bonds and to cast God's cords off of the nations, which means they're taking the Word of God as a—instead of the Word of God as bringing liberty and insight into relationship with God, they see the Word of God as bondage holding the human potential back, and they see the Word of God as bonds and chains and uh, different things that are keeping us back, like— It's because of the archaic word of God, they say, that we don't enter into our full sexual potential as human beings. Because of the archaic, old-fashioned Bible, we're not allowed to experience all these new things as what the radical left That's the rhetoric. That's the storyline. In Psalm 2, David said the kings of the earth and the rulers of the culture will gather together to drive the Word of God, which they see it as bondage, to break the bondage of the Bible off the culture, which is the most horrible description of the Word of God. It's not bondage. It's not chains. It's the spirit of liberty and revelation. But that's how they view it, and that has been escalating the last five years. Well, more than five, but really intensely the last five years, all throughout the Western world. And most political leaders, not all by any means, but many of them are taking a side with the radical left in Europe, in Canada, in America, in many places, they're they're siding with the radical left and portraying themselves as liberators of the human race. Let's get free from this archaic Christian, jail Christian ethic. Let's get rid of it. Let's get out of it. Let's get into liberty. And it's a real evil reality. And God is raising up some leaders across the earth, political leaders, that are taking a stand against that radical leftist agenda.
0: And there are some other examples besides America. Bolsonaro in uh, Brazil, I actually had the opportunity to go to a meeting with him when he was visiting President Trump in Washington, he wanted to visit with Christian leaders and have us pray for him, and that was very significant. And the the call went out, and a number of people: Gordon Robertson was there, Reinhard Bonnke was there. It was you know just a few months before he died, and there's some other examples in the world where that's beginning to happen, and you have to
1: wonder what God is up to. So, of course, I, I want you to comment on this. You know, one of the opposite views is, yeah, those leaders are asking for prayer. That's all political posturing. Of course, they get the Christian vote if they ask for prayer. So give me a statement on how you would respond if somebody goes, President Trump or President Brazil or this guy or that guy. It's all politic. It's positioning. How do you feel about that?
0: Well, with Brazil, he's not going to get any votes. Here in the U.S., it was a meeting that was not really publicized, It was reported by us and a few others, but not widely known. He seemed very, very sincere. And with President Trump, before he was running, he let people pray for him. And when I was still supporting Ted Cruz and wasn't too sure what I thought of this billionaire from Queens, I started seeing things on YouTube where a group of people would be standing around and laying hands on him and praying for him. Some of the people I knew, like Kenneth Copeland and and others and I have been around political candidates who do want our vote and curry our favor and never a prayer was prayed. But Donald Trump seemed, even though he was standing a little awkwardly (laughs) because he was raised in a church where they don't pray this way, he seemed to like it and has happened not once but many times and as I tell in my book, he told a group of ministers in a different setting that he wanted to be the president that prayed the most which is a very interesting thing to say. How is that going to get you votes? If anything, the evangelical Christians are kind of the black sheep of the conservative movement. You know, you want to be nice, but you don't want to be identified as them. The press was saying, you know, he had this rally in Miami a few weeks ago that I attended, and this happened. In fact, it was one of the first things that happened. About six or seven people got up there. Jensen Franklin and Alveda King and a few others who you'd know prayed over him. We reported this. It was widely reported. They put their hands on a shoulder. They lifted a hand in the air, which doesn't it seem common to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's kind of how we pray. The secular press, which was, you know, there were just dozens of them with their cameras and so forth, They were talking about how he let these cult people pray for him, which just shows their ignorance of a whole segment of the Christian community. And
1: Donald Trump, just he doesn't seem to mind if now, you said something interesting. I've never heard this before, that the conservative right, many of them, not all of them, of course, see the evangelicals as the black sheep of the conservative movement. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Meaning they don't look at fervent, on-fire, Bible-believing people as like, wow, that's amazing. They kind of look at them. Some of them are their eyes and going, what are these guys talking about? Stay away from that Bible stuff. Let's just be conservatives and leave it alone. Exactly. So for Trump to curry the, the vote of the evangelicals, some would say without pushing off, you know forward in the election, but you're saying in many of the conservative circles they look at that as kind of religious fanaticism. So why isn't why is Trump allowing this to happen? Because he no, no. I'm saying care. that's what they're saying. Why are you yeah, letting exactly. the conservatives are? So they're not thinking it's posturing. They're thinking. President Trump is not being very wise by letting this be public.
0: Well, of course they criticize him for everything. And he's not the only politician. I met once with Barack Obama with a whole roomful of Christian leaders. A number of them were the heads of denominations that we would call liberal. Franklin Graham was there, T.D. Jakes. I sat next to Max Licato. Sammy Rodriguez was there and he was saying to me off on the side, we're probably the only conservatives in this whole room. But you know, that wasn't probably true but it was his way to reach out to the evangelical community during that election. George W. Bush did too. Bill Clinton did it in his own way. He would show up at some of the, I know he showed up at the Church of God and Christ conventions and would attend funerals of key leaders. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, politicians have to get different groups of people. And in a way, I guess we could even be thankful that they're trying to, you know, involve us in the political process. In the days of Harry Truman, Nobody even knew what the evangelical movement was. Of course, the whole country seemed to be more centrist and Judeo Christian values seemed to be more normal. And I think Harry Truman, who you know probably know of better than I do, I always thought he was very interesting. You know, he's the one that recognized Israel. In
1: nineteen forty eight, yes. In
0: nineteen forty eight, and he grew up in Sunday school. It's said that he read the Bible through a couple times before he was a teenager. But he also liked poker, brandy, and cigars. You know, and he was a little salty. You know, he wasn't exactly our idea of an evangelical Christian.
1: He probably watched football too, didn't he?
0: <laughs> I don't think they'd invented <laughs> oh, okay. football no, back I'm just then, kidding. had they? Or, well, we got the Super Bowl coming up next right. week, and Kansas, the Chiefs are in it, so I had to throw right, that in there. That's okay. right. So, those of you listening to this after February second. You'll know what we don't know. <laughs> Who <laughs> <Wow>. won? <laughs> but anyway, I've just been an observer of this, and it's just interesting for me with Trump. Trump would have gotten our vote regardless of inviting the Christian leaders to the White House and giving them a state dinner. This had never been done before. We're not going to not vote for him because he didn't do that or some of the other things he's You mean that's
1: not the deciding issue. So the folks that are his critics saying, he's only doing this to posture himself. And you're saying none of us would have changed our vote because of a dinner. It has nothing to do with that.
0: Right, if anything, we all had to swallow hard on some of his lifestyle things. This is hardly ever mentioned, but he made his money on gambling. I, for one, am just dead set against gambling. I think it's detrimental, it's addictive. A lot of money is wasted in gambling. And the Christian community used to preach against gambling in the day. But now gambling, isn't there some form of gambling in almost every state? I mean, even if it's just a state lottery or something, and nobody even says anything about it. So I had to kind of get over that. But we're not voting for somebody who agrees with us at every point of theology. You know, you might do that if you're hiring a pastor. <laughs> and also, these things were never brought up in the past. Never, 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 never. It's almost like a new day. And in a way, that's good that these things are being discussed.
1: Yeah, I think that the body of Christ, we're praying in 2020 for the outcome of November 2020. We're saying, Lord Jesus, you know what is the destiny for the church in this nation and for this nation, which is not the same thing as the church in this nation. Those are two different discussions, and we're asking you to raise up the leader that is going to fulfill your purpose in this next four years. And, of course, I encourage people, I never pick a candidate and tell them to make sure you vote for this one. I mean, I don't, like, push people to vote one way or the other on persons, but I say vote for biblical values. Vote for biblical values. And I think the most critical value—I mean, religious liberty is way up at the top—but this idea of abortion— the idea that we have 60 million human beings killed in their mother's womb and the law says that's okay, I am just horrified by this. And I don't mean just the tragedy of it. The tragedy, I am horrified for sure. I'm talking about heaven looking down upon America saying, America, what is my response to 60 million babies killed? You either claim the blood of Jesus to cover that and renounce it as a nation or your own blood is going to cover this thing because I am going to answer blood with blood, but I'm offering you the blood of my son, but it's going to be repentance and calling out to him and renouncing this evil practice. And I have incredible mercy on the men and women and the medical professions that's been involved in this. Meaning I look at them And there are so many blind spots in so many of our lives, and many people that have participated in that, now they're horrified. And they go, oh, my gosh. And I tell you, I want to say the Lord's mercy is new every day. There's a new beginning. The Lord cleanses. He forgives. But only when we declare it as wrong and ask for forgiveness and claim the blood of Jesus. But a lot of folks, political I'm talking about national authority figures put in place by our people, voting them in place, and many other medical professions, and many men and women, not just women, they're boldly proclaiming this is good and okay. That terrifies me. And I think this coming election is going to be another statement to heaven alongside of that value. And that's a major one. It's not by any means the only value, but that is a very big one to me.
0: Very well said as we wrap up this podcast because we could talk a long time. In my book, I not only try to analyze all these and tell interesting stories about how Ronald Reagan was actually healed of ulcers and threw away his medicine and all those kind of stories. You can read the book to find out, but I end with a call for prayer because we need to act and go to the voting booth, but we also need to pray. And one of the things I tell people to pray for is that God would raise up godly people in the Democratic Party, because the Democratic Party is not the same party as it was in the days of Harry Truman, or even as recently as John Kennedy or Bill Clinton. Has changed so much, and they've actually run out of the party just about everybody who's pro-life. It's almost been captured, but our country needs a good two-party system. And there are examples, there's a spirit-filled pastor, I interviewed him on my podcast, his name is Cabrera, and he is running as a Democrat in Brooklyn against AOC in the primary. And uh, he's on the New York City Council, he has a political base, it might actually happen, can you imagine such a thing? But he's running as a Democrat. Uh, Apostle Kim Daniels, who is kind of a protege of Peter Wagner from Jacksonville, is now in the state legislature in Tallahassee here in Florida, and she ran as a Democrat. She's very, very conservative. I tell people she's more conservative than I am, but she ran as a Democrat, and I'm sure that there's other people around the country, and we need godly people to raise up and that's something we can pray about. So as we do wrap this up, and as I thank my listeners for tuning in and also ask people to share this with friends, would you pray a prayer for America Yes. and just take this to the Lord?
1: Yes. And I'm going to mention one more thing. It's Lou Engel, our good friend. You're in mind for many years, is calling a 40-day fast in 2020, March 1st to April 9th. It's 40 days. The Lord spoke to him about this maybe two years ago, about the significance of 2020. And he's calling a fast for the Lord to touch our nation and to touch the nations. And there's a lot involved in that, but that's just an FYI for somebody that might go, who's Lou Engel or they know Lou Engel already. The Lord's used him to fill up lots of stadiums of prayer days, you know, 50 and 70,000 at a time. So I'm super appreciating his push for prayer to go forward and many many others are doing it as well both democrat and republicans because we we love people i mean we love all people but what i'm saying we're behind people that are saying jesus you and your word and your leadership and your will is what we're voting for what we're crying out for and so lord i'm asking you Lord, throughout 2020, that you would extend your hand, you would raise up like you said in Daniel 4, and you would set down at the local level, at the state level, at the federal, national level. Daniel chapter 4, Lord, what the angel told Daniel, you would raise up leaders and set them down according to your will. For who has wisdom like you? Only you know, Lord, what is going to unfold in the four years, eight years, 12 years after the election here in November. And I'm asking you to extend your hand to set in place at every level, again, local, state, national, raise up and set down those that will do your will. And I ask you that your son would be glorified and the will of God would go forth on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.
0: Amen.